story eleven of elsie and the child a tale of riceyman's steps and other stories by arnold bennett this librivox recording is in the public domain story eleven the perfect creature one the reveters pronounced reveter with the accent on the first syllable were entertaining at tea in their marvellous sixteenth-century house which combined the antique architectural loveliness of its period with the latest conveniences and the latest manifestations of sound art a guest on arriving might admire the mullions and then go inside to be ravished by an early portrait of mr reveter by augustus john and then mount to his chamber and learn by bodily experience that the jacobean four-poster had a v-spring mattress and that the silver taps over the marble and font-like basin in the corner jetted with equal assurance both hot and cold water at any hour of the day or night all the arts were profoundly understood and exemplified in that celebrated house and none more profoundly than the art of life itself mr reveter a man of fifty resembled a retired major-general of the finest type though he was only the brother of one and that even the major-general exceeded and surpassed a typical major-general is shown by the mere fact that the brothers had once collaborated in a book of classical parodies of which the scarce first edition was considerably sought after by enlightened collectors mrs reveter was a slim and elegant woman of fifty universally adored and well meriting adoration by means of her charm her quick sympathy and her wide interests at the age of forty-eight her hair had suddenly changed from an iron grey to a magnificent copper hue there had been no mystery about it the worshipped adela was far too wise to try to make a mystery about it she had announced the miracle in advance everybody said how brave and simple she was and that the colour had been admirably chosen and that the change was a dazzling success these parents had a daughter elvira aged twenty-three as to whom they were privately convinced though they never openly stated even to one another that she was the finest daughter in england thousands of parents have a silly allusion to this effect about their daughters but in the case of the reveters the conviction was not a silly illusion it was no sort of illusion if elvira was not the finest daughter in england well at any rate there was in the land no finer daughter she was very beautiful both in face and figure no credit to anybody of course for that she had an excellent constitution no credit to anybody for that either she had a delightful disposition at once kindly and sagacious and no credit to anybody for that she was born so under heaven's inscrutable decree which had also given her copper-coloured hair hence the appositeness of her mother's choice of tint but the parents had treated nature's raw material with wondrous wisdom and most praiseworthy devotion elvira had received a superb and comprehensive education at somerville college oxford she was brilliantly familiar with literature tongues art history physics metaphysics philosophy and politics in which i include modern politics she could play well at tennis hockey golf and bridge she exhibited taste and skill on the piano she danced well and loved dancing 
she dressed well and loved nice frocks she had a low voice she was a graceful and amusing talker she had been radically cured of the terrible national curse self-consciousness she could cook new fresh fish from ancient at the fishmongers and could manage a house and talk amiably to parlour-maids about cinemas and young men lovely without being vain bright without being shallow instructed and yet free from intellectual arrogance virtuous but not priggish as modest as she was gifted and fortunate elvira came as near to perfection as the ingrained malice of creative nature will permit it is a pleasure to describe her there were two guests in the inner hall when tea was served mr edward planta and mr arthur chains marlett each illustrious mr edward planta was the edward planta the mathematician and philosopher who had pursued mathematics into regions so high that scarcely any one else could support life in that rarefied atmosphere and who had taken up the french philosopher bergson and shaken him like a rat a man of thirty-five agreeable and nervous dressed with careless elegance flying a silky brown beard that he was a fellow of all souls getting a stipend not for doing but merely for being showed that oxford regarded him as an ornament to society mr arthur chains marlett aged twenty-eight perfectly dressed in the taste of eighteen thirty-five was the already renowned musical composer and mystic he counted on the continent and he got glorious performances of his distinguished orchestral and choral works everywhere because he paid generously for extra rehearsals mr and mrs Reveter never invited bachelors to stay at their abode unless after careful research they had been passed as eligible the parents aim was to give elvira the best possible facilities for falling in love they were much too nice-minded to reveal to her their tactics but their tactics were not hidden from her edward planta and arthur chains marlett were bachelors first of all said edward planta taking a tartlet and eyeing it with destructive love it's only fair to differentiate between what einstein himself says and the perfectly blithering nonsense which has been written about what he says i should imagine that his mathematics are interesting it will take a year or two really to pronounce a verdict on them in the meantime he undoubtedly does say at the beginning of his own book that in writing it he wasn't troubled about style well my view is that anyone who will seriously say a thing like that can't have what i call a mind without style accuracy of statement is impossible besides every first-rate man of science is an artist and therefore passionately interested in style what puffs me off said james marlett is his violin playing the people who praise his relativity say he interprets bach divinely well i haven't heard him but i know he doesn't no one can interpret bach divinely on the fiddle in the intervals of scientific work you mean said elvira interpreting bach divinely's a full-time job they all laughed papa and mamma with natural if naive pride planta and chains marlett with lightning appreciation of the enchanting young creature's wit and elvira from the unspoilt pleasure of being appreciated 
elvira was very happy the world seemed admirable to her she felt rather than knew that the two great men were running off the final heat of which the prize was herself they had disposed of all other competitors in the previous heats she was always preoccupied with love without quite realizing that it was so her soul was an amazing and delicious whirl of exquisite sensations she could not decide whether she was in love and assuming that she was in love she could not decide whether it was edward or arthur or both that she preferred she adored her parents she reveled in the taste and the intelligence of the environment and the companionship they had created for her how to choose between two such beings as edward and arthur when she sat close to arthur at the piano playing duets with him she was intoxicated by his masterful sensitive original interpretations and she responded with eager ecstasy to his spoken and unspoken directions he inspired her heart and her fingers till she could play beyond her own skill and yet she knew that compared with his playing hers simply did not exist similarly with edward whose talk was an enchantment she too could talk brilliantly in communion with edward and they were so nice were edward and arthur like all wise girls she was despite modesty well aware of her wisdom it was not conceit that convinced her that but one girl in a thousand was capable of appreciating such men as edward and arthur and that she was the thousandth nevertheless with all her education and strong sense she was in fact extremely callow she did not judge edward and arthur realistically she saw in them not what was there but her ideals she knew everything but at the same time she knew nothing she had not a notion that love affairs were embedded in edward planta's past like awkward bits of quartz in a lump of flint all her studies had not taught her that arthur's peculiar brick-coloured complexion was a signal of unrighteousness she allowed nothing in her estimate of the men for the glaring and immense fact that they were trying all they could to please her she sat in her light frock there pouring tea into beautiful china with gestures of heavenly grace her grey eyes roving and seeing naught that was not artistic her pink ears listening to naught that was not intelligent and amusing her blood beating ardently through her veins and giving changeful life to her ineffably soft skin her copper hair wantoning fluffily on her slender neck her brain working with the brightest alertest efficiency her heart honest and kindly and never dreamt that she was the very soul and inspirer of the scene a simpleton undoubtedly a treasure and a simpleton two there was the sound of a machine-gun without it ceased suddenly what is that singular crepitation asked mr revester with undisturbed blandness then followed some transactions in the outer hall and through the door separating the outer hall from the inner hall entered a human being in a dark-stained khaki-yellow tattered garment which was bound in tightly at the waist by a formidable belt and flowed widely forth over the hips like the petticoat of a tahiti girl 
the human being carried in his hands an enormous pair of stiff gauntlets a leather cap and some gigantic goggles the effect of his advent was similar to that of a boulder flung through a vast dome of shimmering crystal you could almost hear the cascading fall of shattered glass the wonderful atmosphere of the tea-party was at any rate utterly destroyed in an instant mr herbert clicksome announced the butler impassively even adela supreme exemplar of social tact was shaken out of her tranquillity she flushed she was a clicksome i suppose you are adela said the visitor awkwardly and awkwardly advanced my dear bertie how unexpected and how welcome adela murmured she was a wonderful woman the assemblage learned that herbert clicksome was a second cousin whose mother had been in correspondence with adela and that adela had suggested a visit from him if perchance he should be passing through the neighbourhood on a contemplated journey from the far north to the far south of our realm and here he was his arrival had been accompanied by phenomenon recalling descriptions of the apocalypse but here he was his gauntlets were vile but his stubby hands were clean also his brilliantined hair lay on his rugged head with the shining smoothness of the hair of a seal just emerged from the water and though his boots were gargantuan and dusty his lounge suit after the yellow robe had been removed was revealed as correct enough further the casual curt style in which he muttered to the butler you can have the suitcase unstrapped from the carrier here's the key indicated that he could not be entirely ignorant of his way about some men would have given the butler an advantage over them by letting him have to ask for the key and not a few would have said you can unstrap the suitcase as if any butler in such a house would personally unstrap anything whatever but my dear bertie had apparently no social ease he was intimidated by the aspect of the company and his fright made him gruff and mute he resisted doggedly all the urbane efforts of all the company and especially of adela and elvira to build up a conversation replying to inquiries in monosyllables and displaying not the slightest initiative the spectacle shocked elvira she had had no idea that there were any clicksoms like that and she had never contemplated the possibility of any such barbaric uncouth maladroit specimen of the outer hordes of humanity plunging into her delicate and perfect home of course she felt sorry for the young man it was not for herself and her home that she felt sorry but for him she and her parents and her admirers were impeccably at ease not showing by the slightest glance or tone that herbert clicksome's state and insufficiency were painfully pitiable and elvira was all the more shocked in that conversational skill and the art of urbane deportment were the specialities of the house she knew that excellent judges had said that at the revesters you could be sure of hearing the best talk in england at a certain moment she perceived that her mother had perceived that it would be a real kindness to my dear bertie to ignore him for a little so that he might pull himself together and thereupon she set to work to help the others in reconstituting the beautiful atmosphere which my dear bertie had so violently destroyed 
and what's the latest about the engineering crisis herbert asked mr revester in due season taking advantage of an opening in a discussion of einstein's mechanics to rescue clicksome from his savage silence which it was considered should by now have served its purpose oh the lockout do you mean i'm not in that show you know i'm a chemical engineer not a mechanical engineer answered clicksome ah breaking up coal for its product and so on i suppose said edward planta pleased that he knew at least something of what chemical engineering dealt with oh not so much that as the fixation of nitrogen that's the great stunt of the next few years how interesting observed james marlett politely but with the faintest undertone of condescension it is said clicksome rather challengingly do tell us about it james marlott pursued and my dear bertie did tell them about it though with possibly a too crude zeal then suddenly brutally he stopped he had said what he had to say and possessed no idea of grace in talk am i right in assuming that chemical engineering leads to mechanical engineering directly or indirectly asked edward planta my ignorance of the mechanical side of life is touching he added well it does and it doesn't said clicksome lamely what a phrase in such a house i venture to think that if the mechanics of life were suppressed for about half a century the result might be advantageous to the human race remarked james marlett coolly and with a delicate cruel disdain that elvira had deemed him incapable of herbert clicksome blushed opened his mouth stuck and shut his mouth again he was not equal to the situation tomahawks being both forbidden and unknown in the revester civilization elvira thought of a good retort for him and in the interval how would you dispose of sewage for instance uh, without mechanics that would have been a finisher for james marlett whose daily and hourly happiness was in a high degree dependent in a hundred ways upon mechanical engineering she almost made the rough unsavory retort herself but refrained not because she thought it unsavory she had been brought up realistically but because she did not like to have the air of doing for cousin clicksome what he had been unable to do for himself the next moment adela had put everything right but in elvira's thoughts james marlett had lost the final heat to edward planta and she felt that they all owed some reparation to poor defenceless bertie clicksome and determined to defend him against arthur vehemently if need should arise in so doing she would be defending too the honour of the house three looking through the balconied window of the main staircase elvira on her way down to dinner perceived herbert clicksome taking the air in the garden he had his hands deep in his pockets and when he turned around at the end of the path it seemed to elvira that she was reminded of the movements of a tiger turning round at the end of its cage she watched him perform about half a dozen absolutely regular tigerish turns and then she remembered that she had not cast a housewifely glance over his room as her mother would certainly expect her to do in bertie's room she saw the largest sponge she had ever seen it was the very emperor of sponges and of exceeding fine quality good heavens she said to herself how physical the poor thing is 
which impression was confirmed by a more detailed examination of the apartment nevertheless while pitying him for the sponge she also admired him for the sponge and while admitting his exaggerated and powerful masculinity she also felt that the great beast somehow needed protection not that bertie was a big man but he had big shoulders he made a lamentable effect by entering the drawing-room in what the revesters always disdainfully referred to as a boiled shirt elvira had not noticed that dreadful detail from the staircase window the shirt stuck out from his chest in a vast stiff bluish-white curve the other men wore soft silk shirts to their dinner jackets in the matter of evening shirts they were all anti-starch and mr revester though he appreciated as well as anybody the danger of being peculiar would not wear an ordinary stiff shirt even with a ceremonious swallowtail coat for him indeed the starched shirt was barbaric and a starched shirt on the body of a guest hurt him more than if he had been wearing it himself still as the whole company was full of tact and nice breeding the barbaric bertie got no hint whatever that he was barbaric two young women came to dinner miss revester had fished them out from somewhere in order to equalize the sexes at her table like herself and elvira they were dressed in the height of the daring fashion mrs revester was never afraid of a fashion either for herself or for her daughter and at dinner bertie clicksom assuredly did look very odd in the assemblage however mrs revester had him to sit next to her and she protected him in exactly the manner in which elvira had intended to protect him only perhaps more skilfully and elvira had arthur change marlott instead of bertie next to her and was a little disappointed and quite unconsciously displayed her disappointment by one or two conversational fencing matches with the celebrated composer she went so far as falsely to assert to him that she loved brahms which offended him after dinner some more couples arrived from a neighbouring mansion and somebody suggested a dance now the house of the revesters was an extraordinary house and far removed from the mediocre and philistine but it resembled the mediocre and philistine in this that the girls in it were attracted by the idea of an impromptu dance much more than they would have been by the idea of a prearranged dance the suggestion was received with immense enthusiasm and mr revester had to hide his antipathy to it mr revester believed strongly in organization and he prided himself uh, modestly and with refinement upon the perfect organization of his home he enjoyed a dance and he enjoyed organizing a dance and getting a couple of musicians over from cambridge and so on but what about the music for an impromptu dance it was impossible to ask change marlott to play foxtrots haven't you got a gramophone bertie asked i'm afraid we haven't mr revester replied to the barbarian with an invisible shudder of the soul a gramophone in the house of the revesters good god said bertie simply mr chain marlott must play of course elvira decided it will be the finest dance music you ever heard i hope you dance bertie she turned to cousin clicksom who surprisingly answered well i hop about a bit will you dance with me that would give me a start you see 
i should love to thanks said elvira amiably the servants had nipped up the carpet from the centre of the drawing-room and bertie with his partner began at once to hop about a bit elvira found that bertie danced chiefly on his heels and very monotonously eschewing all variations but he did know what he wanted and he never left his partner in doubt as to what he wanted she enjoyed yielding to his tyrannical indications but she did not enjoy the actual dancing nor did she enjoy the touch of the upper part of his hand on the skin of the small of her back the man was evidently not accustomed to the latest fashions i say said he soon what's that fellow supposed to be playing it's passages out of the waltz from strauss's the rosenkavalier avira told him the finest waltz of the century we all think well, it may be said bertie nonchalantly but it's no earthly to dance to no earthly i suppose it isn't elvira admitted really they stopped two other couples had stopped also mr chains marlett perceived that exquisitely as he had been playing he was not filling the bill lovely girls crowded round the piano and besought the genius to play something danceable they pleaded they apologized they apostrophized his good nature and their own audacity and at last mr chains marlett was enabled to recall the air of a fox-trot and he played it as only he could have played it divinely but it was not danceable he may be no end of a swell said bertie clicksome but he's got no notion of keeping time arthur chains marlett no notion of keeping time perhaps you could play my dear bertie said adela sweetly after each girl including elvira had protested that she could not possibly play for dancing i can't play he replied but i expect i could ladle out japanese sandman or el relicaria he was pushed into the seat of performance his playing proved to be appalling the wonder was that the artistic house did not crumble at the shock and mr james marlett and mr Revester faint jointly away bertie's thick fingers were like hammers he had no soul and what was worse he had no wrist that is to say his wrist was like a piece of cast iron he violated every principle of piano technique the performance was an outrage upon the sensibilities of all cultured persons but bertie kept strict time dancing was resumed and at the end of the first dance lovely girls crowded round bertie and applauded him and supplicated him to continue james marlett and mr Revester had disappeared elvira had a curious feeling of pride in her cousin clixom and although she did not enjoy dancing with him she regretted that his strange pianistic ability prevented him from dancing with her bertie was in a fair way to become the hero of the night when the night took an entirely fresh turn mr Revester reappeared with trouble trembling on his countenance the electricity is giving out said he and all agreed that they had latterly noticed a diminution of light this evil chance was a blow to mr Revester's prestige as an organizer in the house of the Revesters, nothing ever went wrong 
it was a blow also to mr revester's prestige as a judge of character the head gardener blamber was also the engineer of the establishment he was newly engaged and mr revester had banked on him he had gone away that afternoon for three days to the urgent funeral of an aunt and he had sworn that he had made enough current for three days and on the first evening the supply was failing the prospect positively frightened mr revester how for instance could he read in bed without the electric reading lamp over his head and how could he sleep if he did not read bertie clicksom was not a mechanical engineer yet the revesters glanced at him as at a possible saviour i really don't know much about these things said he but i can tell you one thing you'd better switch off the current at once and use candles if you don't your man will probably have to give the engine a continuous forty-eight hour run after he comes back and there'll be gallons of bother cruel heartless advice adela acted upon it and everybody said how delightful candles were and what a superior light they gave for beauty and softness of ray nothing to touch a candle but everybody left early and for different reasons mr revester and the illustrious composer went to bed early four each bearing a candle elvira and bertie clicksom mounted the stairs together they were the last i wish i could have got rid of that crumpled rose-leaf said bertie pausing on the landing at precisely the spot where elvira had looked forth at him in the garden elvira paused too crumpled rose-leaf what do you mean she asked regarding him in bewilderment his starched cuirass had splendidly withstood all the perils of the evening and was as glossy and bombastic as ever the crumpled rose-leaf in your father's bed of roses said bertie with irony the missing electric light he's dreadfully upset about it elvira amused and astonished by bertie's sardonic but kindly wit gave a charming free laugh oh he is she agreed if i knew where the engine-house was i'd go and have a look at it now why not the engine-house is next to the garage said elvira i think the keys generally hung on the wine-cellar door in the kitchen but i'm not sure it used to be supposing we make sure elvira preceded him downstairs again in a sort of wild one-step from her demeanour nobody could have divined her brilliant and comprehensive education a warm night full of mysterious fragrance lay softly upon the garden and grounds isn't it a lovely night elvira murmured the night's all right i expect said clicksom give me the key will you he unlocked the door of the engine-house looked in struck a match and then switched on the light he gazed meditatively at the engine with its great flywheel, walked round it, read the printed instructions on the card nailed to the wall, and inspected the indicator and the fuel gauge. So that's it, is it? he muttered meditatively. Well, I think this might be started. Not tonight. Why not? It might need a twenty-four hour run, perhaps only ten. I don't know. If I can start it, there's a chance your father will rise up to-morrow morning and call me blessed well good-night i'm not going to bed if you're staying here said elvira with a note of challenge in her voice bertie whistled and taking down a suit of yellow overalls from a hook put them on over his dress clothes 
you'd better stand outside while i operate this blow lamp that dress of yours dirt to say nothing of it being inflammable she stood outside and watched him in three minutes his hands were foul in four his face was smudged in other respects he was very slow elvira watched him moving to and fro in the confined space of the low engine-house and thought how like a benevolent devil he seemed and how intensely romantic the engine-house was and how strange it was that she had never till then suspected the presence of romance in the engine-house as for what he was doing his acts were a complete enigma to her he lit a great heavy lamp that first smoked and then roared prodigiously so much so that elvira was girlishly frightened for his life after a very long time he seized the flywheel as it were caressingly he repeated this manoeuvre and at length the flywheel revolved very deliberately under his pressure and then lo it was revolving by itself it increased in speed and a terrific racket grew up in the engine-house the lamp ceased to roar and began to smoke again and bertie extinguished and detached it and pushed it into a corner can i come in now elvira demanded no answer bertie was bending over the engine with an oil-can can i come in now she shouted no answer he had not heard in the hurly-burly of clacking steel she pulled at a strap at the back of his overalls and he looked round can i come in now she bawled yes but keep clear of that flywheel don't go within a yard of it you understand she nodded and gingerly entered she was extremely excited it was very hot in the engine-house but she felt delightfully comfortable in her scanty and pale frock so absurdly and even wickedly different from his heavy enveloping overalls the electric light over their heads had no mercy in its revelations of her physique nor did she desire any mercy she knew that she looked frivolous but she liked to look frivolous and was proud of the appearance of frivolity and yet and yet she hoped that he did not completely despise her with her so-called brilliant education she admitted that he was entitled to despise her on that score what did her education and her accomplishments amount to little she could keep house the rest was frills but he could do real things marvellous things he was not a mechanical engineer nevertheless he had mastered an unknown engine she admired him dreadfully yes dreadfully she was ashamed of being a mere ornament to society he reached over for a spanner she picked it up for him it was greasy she rubbed her jewelled hand on her short skirt deliberately well that's a nice trick bertie shouted your dress will be ruined i don't mind it's only an old one she added untruthfully she did not mind on the contrary she went about with set purpose to stain her frock and found a voluptuous pleasure in spoiling it she loved to see the horrid marks on it and on her fragile iridescent shoes she reflected in a sort of ecstasy that everybody else was in bed and that everybody else imagined that she too was in bed whereas she was in fact alone with him in the engine-house and in the night the sense of adventure was acute i'll step outside for a bit said he pushing her gently lest she should not have caught his words she gently resisted his push so that he should push more 
outside in front of the doorway he opened the overalls take my cigarette case out of my breast pocket will you please said he i daren't touch anything except the overalls she obeyed thrilled it was a complicated cigarette case with matches in it she picked a cigarette for him and struck a match have one he suggested she shook her head replacing the case she wanted a cigarette but she wanted still more to be absolutely different from him so you were at somerville he said gazing at her quizzically she nodded those girls colleges must be rum places he said they are she agreed with fervour thinking suddenly of the million incredible pettinesses of collegiate existence a silence the night was magnificent do you people here talk about the fourth dimension every day he asked referring to a conversation at dinner she pouted almost she said do you really think there is a fourth dimension no well that's something anyway he threw down the cigarette and returned into the engine house she walked off in the direction of the mansion and came back in a few minutes with a tray holding two cold mutton chops two glasses a jug of lemonade some bread two knives and two forks he raised his eyebrows this is what i call genuine hospitality he said how are we going to manage she put the tray on the step leading up into the engine house and she sat on the ground in her devastated frock and bertie clicksome sat on an empty tin of mobile oil what's that funny light in the sky over there she asked that's a thing they call the dawn he informed her and jumped into the engine house to nurse his racketing child which had just given disconcerting symptoms it began to rain warm baptismal rain she loved to feel it on her skin i'd better return that tray to the kitchen she suggested when both bones have been picked clean oh, perhaps you had he concurred it might look better and don't come back go to bed do you think i ought i do but how long shall you stay here rely on me for breakfast but you'll be asleep then i shan't she protested with violent conviction well good night and thanks for able assistance she went off with the tray in the rain and obediently did not come back there was a sound core of prudence in elvira five still she was asleep for breakfast and therefore did not appear the tragedy it was a tragedy for elvira arose out of the strange conduct of the french maid mariette who had once served adela alone then adela and elvira equally and was now serving chiefly elvira mariette so the tale was related in the kitchen had had horrible dreams during the night including a nightmare to the effect that the electric light engine was working throughout the night when obviously it could not have been working after the dreams she had overslept herself and had consequently failed to call her young mistress at the usual appointed hour on entering the bedroom very late she had found her mistress asleep and she had also found her mistress's evening frock lying on the carpet she had picked it up gazed at it thunderstruck rushed out of the chamber with it had hysterics in the corridor and quite forgotten to wake elvira and elvira on being summoned to consciousness by another hand had burst into the most astonishing tears at the information that breakfast was over 
she was not angry with negligent and fanciful servants no she was always too good-natured for resentment but her grief was acute and she did not hide it at length descending she had discovered her father and bertie gossiping together very intimately her father simply delighted at the resumption of the electrical supply and extraordinarily pleased with bertie some of his admiration he had kept for his daughter whose share in the undertaking bertie had recounted chains marlett had left and edward planta was reading apart as for adela she thoughtfully said not a word about the spoilt frock she was a woman of the nicest tact and she would do nothing to impair the felicity of the morning elvira however could not partake of the household felicity bertie had given her one tolerant amused disdainful glance as if to say well, i knew you wouldn't be down for breakfast this glance pierced her heart which bled freely how he must despise me she said to herself yawning afterwards in her bedroom at lunch bertie almost completely ignored her he was out for tea with mr revester at dinner he casually remarked that she was very pale doubtless worn out and she learnt that he had been running the engine again without having invited her assistance the electric light was brilliant mr revester seemed to sun himself in it about an hour after dinner elvira began to behave in a manner of which twenty-four hours earlier she would have deemed herself incapable a manner worthy of a minx of a designing chit of a girl without either intellectual resources or decent feminine pride she got edward planta into a corner and spectacularly flirted with him for the benefit of bertie clixom she grew more and more intimate with edward planta she talked in clear tones and perhaps rather loudly for her on his subjects she flattered him until he conceived a scheme for proposing to her the next day and all the time her eye was furtively upon bertie clixom and she lived in a fever of apprehension or of expectation she had acute difficulty in maintaining in a convincing way her share of the lofty conversation with edward but she did maintain it at last bertie after hovering uncertainly on her horizon approached her and said i'm just going along to the engine-room you coming she looked up at him exquisitely happy and relieved for she knew from his voice and demeanour that he was savagely jealous of that highbrow edward planta i don't think i'll come to-night she said with the sweetest smile mr planta and i are having a great argument bertie departed in silence she was radiant and triumphant and her deplorable tactics caused her conscience not one twinge six then began in the refined and hitherto tranquil house of the revesters a cyclone that raged round and round within the house and without the house intimidating and even terrifying the wonder-struck occupants from mr revester himself down to the boot-boy nobody could do anything nobody ever can do anything to influence a cyclone because of the cyclone the returned gardener engineer escaped with a caution when they retired to bed of a night mr and mrs revester scarcely dared to mention the cyclone to one another the topic was too overpowering and they were too civilized the servants had less reticence among themselves the servants were both frightened and enchanted 
they repeated scores of times a day in varied terms that miss elvira had gone clean off her head about mr clicksom and mr clicksom was not much better and they accumulated and recounted continually fresh illustrations of this unquestionable fact oh yes miss elvira didn't know what she was doing she was perfectly innocent and simple and nice and gentle and somehow dignified with it all but she didn't know what she was doing she had lost her head it was a lovely and an inspiring sight of course the poor thing's parents were helpless they could only sit and watch mr revester fair worshipped mr clicksom since that electricity business and mrs revester naturally could not object to one of her own kin and elvira was the centre of the cyclone and strangely calm elvira existed in an ecstasy of admiring contemplation save in very rare intervals when she asked herself what it was in bertie that enthralled her he had plenty of common sense but he was a rare philistine and ignorant at that he knew and cared nothing about philosophy history pictures sculpture and very little about literature his music was dance music discussions bored him he scorned professors dons and debaters he was a clumsy talker yet she thought about him all day and dreamed about him all night went frequently in fear that he would despise her despised herself for her brilliantly futile education and fell into secret rapture at a smile or a gesture from him during most of the cyclone week she was very much like a baby staring beatifically and utterly without cerebration at a bright object the cyclone lasted only a week one evening bertie clicksom said to elvira elvira may i speak to your father in her soul she gleefully roared with laughter at this characteristic and comically conventional proposal of marriage but she was so happy so relieved and she was suddenly conscious of fatigue too the strain was over the brilliant and delicious latest production of civilization sank in repose on the barbarian breast and her last urgent yearning thought was i will be efficient for him i will show him how efficient and practical i can be the household was staggered a week only a week engaged after seven days who could have thought it of miss elvira but you never could tell with those quiet nice ones talk about love at first sight it was the most amazing example of love at first sight that anybody in the revester house or within ten miles of it had ever heard of and more amazing than anybody had ever hoped to see the ordeal for adela was extreme but she came through it successfully like her husband she admitted that she was in the presence of a higher power have you heard that elvira revester is engaged to a chemical engineer and has to go and live near newcastle on tyne a dreadful district that perfect creature that divine creature who is he nobody nobody at all she simply went mad about him think of the chances she's had edward planta was really in love with her well i give it up and they said it tragically and they said it facetiously and they said it cynically and they said it kindly and they said it utterly puzzled elvira's happiness was intensely touching it was at once pathetic and magnificent the character of her mind seemed to change hitherto as the result of her upbringing she had been above the transient prejudices and conventions of her epoch 
she became quite conventional everything had to be done in the old conventional way yes even to orange blossom and fully choral marriage service and vast wedding reception bertie's influence of course and withal she could hardly bear to wait for the terrific day every week was a year and each month a century but when all the rites were accomplished and she was alone with him in the moving car and the whole extraneous unnecessary world receding away from them in clouds of dust bliss she had to shut her eyes and she had not a thought of the great prize she was of her youth her beauty her good nature her charm her distinction her style her elegance her wits her cleverness her money the unparalleled perfection of her individuality and appurtenances no she was absorbed lost drowned in her own image of bertie to see her soft burning glance the wondrous delicate curve of her downy cheek as she looked up but of course you never know how such marriages will turn out or any other marriages so far as that goes End of story eleven